Please be seated. Good morning. I want to welcome everyone today on behalf of the family of James Hughes. Thank you for being here. We're going to share and reflect on James's 82 years of life on this earth. It was a wonderful life, and we're going to hear about that today. Your presence is meaningful and deeply appreciated. This morning we'll be led in congregational singing uh, by Gary Abels. Gary will lead us in two wonderful songs that Sue and James loved. And following the first song, which will be How Great Thou Art, four men who know James very well will come and reflect and give their thoughts and remarks concerning James. And he is the man that we honor today. And let me introduce the speakers to you. First will be John Cobb, fellow bicycle and Porsche enthusiast. Anxious to hear about that. Uh, Ron Lumen, who is one of James's fellow railroad guys, and I see a bunch of them right here. And uh, we're anxious to hear about his time with Cotton Belt Railroad. Tony Rossi, James's nephew, will speak third. And then Adam Montgomery, his grandson, uh, will be the fourth speaker. Following Adam, uh, I will come and uh, close the service with some remarks. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, we are saddened to be here today for this reason. We've lost a brother in Christ, James Hughes, a good man known to all of us in this room. Father, we're thankful, though, that you have blessed us with this opportunity to, to share our memories of him, to comfort one another, and just know that you are with us and that you will be with us through this service. It gives us strength. And, Father, we just pray that what we do this morning as we honor James Hughes will glorify you because you played such an important role in his life. Again, thank you for the beautiful day that you've blessed us with for this service. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gary, come and lead us in How Great Thou Art. O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. 
I've known James Hughes for 20-some years. <clears throat> this turns out harder than I thought it'd be. Uh, I met James through bicycle riding, and uh, like all, all of y'all, you know, he was a good friend, and so uh, I'm going to miss him. But I've got a couple of stories that I think some of y'all won't know about James that I thought were pretty good. And uh, I appreciated Sue and Adam letting me talk. I'll, I'll try to get better. Uh, about 10 years ago, I did triathlons. It's where you swim in the lake, and then you ride your bike forever, and then you run some. And so about 10 years ago, James came to me, and he said, uh, I want to do a triathlon. I said, well, you know, James, that's okay. Uh, but I don't remember you ever swimming or knowing how to swim. That's going to be a key ingredient to this thing. He says, well, I'll learn. You teach me and I'll learn. I said, well, okay. So I start taking him to a pool and teach him, you know, kind of hard to swim. And so first day we're there and I look down at the far end of the pool and all I see is James' feet bobbing up and down like a duck going for some water underwater. So I swim down there and I said, James, what are you doing? He says, well... I was breathing so hard I blew my teeth out, and I'm diving down here trying to get. So well, it, it can only go better from here, you know. And so uh, we we'd work on swimming, and, and and James's mother was a great runner. She she ran until she was in her mid 90s, and and so I said, James, you know it's in your blood. You know how to run. You just got to buy some shoes. So we were bike riding and running, and and you know really kind of had a good time and uh, I didn't reflect on that until this summer because I turned 72 this summer and was doing a triathlon and I was out there one day going I've done like a hundred of them so it's nothing but I reflected on the fact that how hard it had to have been for James to start learning to swim at 72 and then go run and all that it was in, it really hit me how that was well that's just how James was. He was an all-in person. Whatever he concentrated on at that time, whether it was guns or cars or bikes or whatever, 
He was all in. I mean, that's what he did at that time. And you have to admire that in somebody. It wasn't like he kind of wanted to know about the hobby but not really be involved in it. He was in it. And that's how he was as a friend. As, as everybody here can testify, James was a great friend. He was, he's what you would want in a friend because he would sit and listen to you and he was dependable and he would go along with most anything you dream up and you know you'd have a problem and you could talk to James and and he'd never give you any other thing he'd just let you talk to you kind of self-solved your problem but that's a good thing and uh, so yeah I'll miss that but uh, anyway James ended up doing this triathlon and he finished it and uh, I don't know if he told anybody other than Sue and Adam about it but he was pretty proud and uh, I will say that James uh, really loved Sue. He always talked about Sue cooked this or did that that I couldn't eat and did, you know, different things. But uh, she was an important part of his life. And Adam, there's there nothing that made James more proud than when Adam would accomplish something, whether it's a run or another degree in school or something, but uh, Adam's done great. I've known Adam since he was about 12, so it's been fun to watch him grow up and see him learn about things, and uh, I was so proud of Adam because he, he drove James's Porsche down here today, which is my second story. Uh, James came to my house one day a couple of years ago and said, my Porsche, this little red car he's had forever, he says, it, you know, it just never has to look quite right. And I'll go to these Porsche meetings and everybody laughs at me because the hood doesn't sit right. And he says, do you think we could adjust on that a little bit? I said, well, no, James, I don't think we can adjust on that. I think it's going to take like, some big work. And if you, if you walk out there and you let me start, it's going to be a, a real project. And, and James says, well, I'd like to have it fixed right. And I said, well, okay. And I have a shop at my house, and I do car stuff. And so James and I get out there, and I said, now, James, you don't have to be here every day because this is like a, a real project. This isn't like washing a car. You know, this is a big deal. So we took this car and cut off and ground all the paint off and cut the whole front end off of it and had to weld new metal on it and fix just a ton. It was a two-year project. And it, it came out really beautiful. If you leave here, just look, and the little red car's out front, and, it, and it's beautiful. And about two weeks ago, or three weeks now, I was at James's house doing something one day, and, and really for the first time I've seen him ever be boastful, because he, he was a very humble man. But he sat there, and we were looking at the car, and he just kind of slowed up a little bit. He says, you know, this really did turn out good. It, I can really show this to my Porsche friends, and and really have pride in it. And I said, well, you ought to, because you do a whole lot of work on this thing. And, uh, and that's how James was. Uh, you know, he would hand build rifles, and he would, he would never take the easy path, which is just go buy one. He would always just build something or, or do something around his house. So it's a, a great uh, void that will be hard to fill, but uh, y'all coming today to honor him, uh, I think is great for his family and, and uh, we all appreciate it. Thank you. James Hughes had a great sense of humor.
and a very good sense of timing. He, as he stated earlier, he, is, he was a very humble kind of guy, and you didn't know that he could do so many things. Back in the early 70s, he had an inverter on his truck where you could plug in a power tool. That was before cordless drills and, and saws. He was a very accomplished long-range shooter. He, uh, James Hughes was a, was a very good man. A lot of you don't know this, but it, you, we used to have a personal property tax if your automobile was less than five years old. And James Hughes took the state of Texas to task, and you don't have to pay that tax anymore. So we're all a beneficiary of some of his work. He, uh, he once uh, needed a pony for his daughter, and he called uh, Sonny Hale, and Sonny sold him a pony that he had purchased. And they couldn't get the pony to move because they wanted a safe pony, but they didn't count on it being that safe. And they finally had to get a stick and a carrot to get the horse to move. And everybody's favorite is James was uh, barking orders to Sue. She was driving the tractor, and he was up in the bucket with the chainsaw. And uh, she got tired of uh, not being doing that right, so she just turned the key off and went in the house for a little while. <laughs> He and Ronnie Myers went uh, duck hunting at the old Lake Palestine, and they had to walk a berm at 5 o'clock in the morning, and it was dark, and James missed the berm, and he, Ronnie said he heard a splash, and the only thing he could see was a shotgun sticking up out of the water. But he was a very good man, a good railroad man, a pleasure to work with, and a friend to all of us, and he will be sorely missed. Well, like everybody was saying, thank you guys very much for being here to support Aunt Sue and Adam and especially Uncle James. Um, my memories of Uncle James go back to as far as I can remember. I was candle boy and chief rice thrower at their wedding. And from that time on, up through high school, Uncle James was a a father figure and a, excuse me, and a mentor. Um, one of the things I'd like to make sure we honor in him today is his service in the United States Marine Corps. He was a proud veteran, but a very, very humble one. He didn't like to speak too much about being in the Corps because he always said, I didn't go to a fight in a war, so I don't, don't want to claim the attention, but 
everything I saw in James, Uncle James's life was everything that an exemplary Marine would, would possess. The, the self-discipline that he had was just amazing to me. Uh, he, as speakers before me stated, the, there was nothing he did halfway. When he did something, he did it 110%, whether it was gunsmithing, cycling, restoring antique clocks, restoring horses, he was all in. Um, he was the uh, motivating factor for me to join the Marine Corps when I got out of high school. Uh, and, and it was even as of a couple of weeks ago, he and I were exchanging some stories back then. But um, even with all of that seriousness and self-discipline and, and, and purpose, uh, he had a he had a sense of humor that would would uh, you know catch you off guard. Uh, he we rode a lot together for a few years cycling, and uh, one of the rides we went on that I remember the most was a ride across Iowa. It was a seven day ride. You camp out at night in designated towns, and they always set up a hospitality tent for us. So at the end of the day, you could go in there and relax, get something to drink before the next day. And one of those evenings, we walked into the hospitality tent, and Uncle James grabbed a newspaper. I grabbed an adult beverage. And we went, went in to sit down, and I noticed two young ladies sitting there with guitars. So I sat, sat over by them, listened to them playing music, and Uncle James is sitting just across from me, and he's got his newspaper up. And I glance over at him, and he's got the newspaper pulled down just below his eyes. And as soon as he sees me make eye contact, he lowers the paper and he says, I'm telling on you. And he puts that newspaper back up. You, you, you just, you know, it, I left myself open, and he seized it. But, but that, that was Uncle James. And um, I, I will miss him for the rest of my life. Thank you. Thank you all for, for coming today. Um, there's a couple of little things that he and I did together I want to talk about just to kind of show the influence he had on me. So we moved to, to San Antonio when I was little, and we got into a big neighborhood and about twice the size of the woods or holly tree or anywhere like that. And I took my little bike, and I was riding all over the neighborhood with my friends and stuff. And... I knew that he rode in the summer, so I said, well, let me just, you know, bring my bike up here and I'll, uh, you know, ride with Granddaddy a little bit. Well, we got up and I always ate four or five French toast sticks. That was my good, healthy, hearty breakfast before we go ride. Um, and we'd get out there and the first couple times I could only go about four miles out and four miles back. It was something less than 10 miles and he would he'd ride with me and uh, my bike didn't even have water bottle holders so he would hold a water bottle for me and he would take me home after the little eight miles and then he'd go back out and he'd go do his whole ride he liked to ride about 30 miles and so after a few times of that uh he's 
You know, he said, hey, it gets hot, you know, let's see if you can go a little bit further. That way I can't. And I just told him, I, I don't think I can do it. And he looked at me and he said, well, that's, that's the problem. He said, you don't think you can do it, but you can. And he said, you're letting quit be an option for you. And quit just can't be an option. He said, you can do it. He said, look at this old guy out here going and doing all this. He said, you can do it. And so the first time I did it, we went about 15 and about double in one time. And he just kind of showed me through the bike riding that if you let quit be an option, yeah, that's easy. That's the easy route. But if you just persevere and you keep going and things like that, you'll, the sky's the limit on those things. And then another thing we did a lot together was work on cars or guns or my truck or anything. And he always wanted it done the right way the first time. I'd always, you know, think I found a quicker way and he'd tell me, no, no, you can't, can't do it like that. Well, one instance really sticks out to me and I was about 12 probably. And we were putting together a carburetor uh, for the old car. Every summer I'd come up and he'd want me to learn how to work on the car. And so we're putting together a carburetor and there is a little flimsy, looks like a sheet of paper with some holes in it called a gasket. Well, when I was 12, I just thought, eh, we don't need this. And I went and tried to to throw it in the trash. And he said, oh, no, no, no. But he took the time to explain to me that doing this the right way, yeah, you might get it running. And the car might run for a week or two. But eventually, it's going to vibrate. It's going to separate. It's going to start sucking air. And that car is not going to work. And so from then on, everything we did, every project, it was always do it the right way. And I've taken that, and he always wanted you to have a sense of pride. Um, He never was prideful himself, but he always wanted you to have a sense of pride in every little thing that you did. Uh, Do it the right way. That way, you know, when you show it off to people, your name's attached to that. You're, you know, whether it's coming to church dressed well or, or being a Christian the best way that you can be, he's... You know, he said, like everybody else has said, do it 100%. If you're going to do it, do it the right way. Do it all the way. Um, and then the last thing is really just he, he wanted you to laugh and have a good time. Um, he took a lot of things serious, but in a lot of sense, he, he wanted to joke. And uh, one of the real good <laughs> jokes we have in our family is, uh, and it's been since a kid, and last night Rhonda and I were talking, and uh, I guess it's even been since she was a kid, but... He always had a joke. If Mimi wasn't going to do something for him, he was going to trade her in. He always, he would tell me as a kid, we'd ask her, he'd tell her to make us a pie, and she wouldn't, and he would look over at me, and he'd say, we're going to find us a new Mimi. That's not going to turn us down any pie. So, um, you know, he, he was always just trying to make you laugh and, uh, and everything. So he's going to be a great miss. And uh, the last thing I... Uh, wanted to say today is there's a there's a lot of conversations him and I had in the car and his main goal was if anything were to happen to him that I took care of Mimi and so Mimi I will promise you today that I will keep that promise I want to thank the the man who spoke. I think we now know a lot more about James Hughes than we did when we walked through those doors. One moment in time that 
struck me about James. It was one Sunday morning a couple of years ago, and I try to get here a little early so I can get my favorite parking spot on, the, on Elm Street over here so I can get close to uh, our Sunday school door to go right in there. So I, I parked my truck. I was getting my Bible together, fixing to get out, and all of a sudden, this little sports car comes wheeling in in front of me and parks right next to the curb right in front of me. And I thought, wow, that's, that's James Hughes' parking spot. I mean, not, not that we have assigned parking here, but you know how it is. <clears throat> you get there early, you get a good parking spot. And I thought, now James is going to be a little irritated when he pulls up in his truck and this guy's in his spot. Well, lo and behold, the, the door opens, and I see this guy start unwinding out of that Porsche. I didn't think he would ever get out, and there's James Hughes. I did not know he owned a Porsche. I had known him for several years, did not know he owned a Porsche. But um, anyway, I thought, now, he looks just like Clint Eastwood, tall, handsome, twinkle in his eye. And after that moment, his, um, my evaluation of him grew tremendously to the cool guy. <laughs> so he made an impression. James was no bench warmer, as you've already heard. He became involved in things and followed the Apostle Paul's advice that we read about in Colossians 3.23 that says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Now I can speak with authority on three areas concerning James Hughes that he and I shared a common thread. First of all, our Inquirer's Bible class. I teach that class. Sue and James have been faithful members of that class for years. And they would get there early. And as a teacher, you can appreciate that, that your, your students get there early and are prepared and ready to learn. Well, Sue and James were always there early, eager and ready to do anything. Sue would grab that roll. James would sit next to her and watch her check the roll. But he would be there to adjust chairs, do anything that we needed done. He would just say, anything I can do. And that indicated to me how James Hughes really was. Secondly, Caring Kitchen. West Irwin prepares a hot meal uh, once a month over at our Benevolence Center right over here uh, where we feed 50 to 100 people once a month, and it takes a team of volunteers to accomplish that. James was involved in that. And guess what his job was? 
he was the quintessential dishwasher. He volunteered for that job. And I would encourage you before you leave today, if you haven't already seen it, there is a wonderful picture of James Hughes in the hallway as you exit the foyer to your right. On the right wall, there is a picture of James Hughes that just says, that's James Hughes. That's what he does. He's bent over into a sink with his apron on, washing those dishes with his head cocked, glasses down here. I, he, he just looks like the servant that you know he is. Consider the upper room the night Jesus was betrayed. Who washed the feet of the disciples? Not a very enthusiastic job to volunteer for, but Jesus did it. And he set a timeless example of having a servant's heart when he washed those disciples' feet. And it's a little thing, but James Hughes volunteering to do that job. And when you feed 50 to 100 people, there's a mess to clean up. And James enjoyed it. He was humorous about it. We always had a great time at Caring Kitchen. Lastly, here at West Irwin, we have a safety team. In this day and age, most congregations across this country have one because of situations that we're all familiar with. This is a, uh, a country that is not like the one that we all grew up in. But James came to me a couple of years ago and he said, Stan, I want to help with the safety team and I'll do anything you want me to do. I'm ready to volunteer. Use me however you want to. So James completed all of the necessary training and true to his word, he was always ready. He would get to church, look me up and say, Stan, where do you need me today? And I would give him an assignment and he was happy to take it wherever it was, never grumbled, never questioned it, just went and did what he was assigned to do. It was mentioned earlier about his time as a Marine. You know, when James enlisted into the Marine Corps, like every member of our United States military, regardless of service, you take an oath to protect the United States of America and uphold the Constitution. You actually sign a document verifying that very oath. All of the veterans in here know that. That oath also indicates that you may be called upon to give your life for this country. James never wavered. He signed that document. He served. Likewise, here at, our, at West Irwin, our safety team, each member is prepared and trained to engage and protect this flock of Christians that meet here. And if necessary, a member, whether it be male or female, 
is ready to give their life in defense of their brothers and sisters. James didn't waver about that either. He enjoyed his time on the safety team. He was dependable, always ready, knowing the risk that is involved in being an armed safety team member. As been said by all of the speakers, James was a good man. You know, just as Barnabas in the Bible was called a good man, we read about him in Acts 11.24, and it says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. That's James Hughes. James will be missed. He's going to be missed by you, Sue, and Adam, Tony, his brother, Everyone that knows James Smith is going to miss him. But I would encourage us all to cherish the memories, reflect on these wonderful stories that we've heard today from these men. Keep them in your heart. Remember James. He's going to be missed by his fellow railroad cotton belt friends. He's going to be missed by the brothers and sisters in Christ that worship here at West Irwin. And I'm going to miss him. He was my friend. I think if James were here right now, he would reflect on two things. Number one, in 1 John 5 and 3, we read this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon said, I perceive that there is nothing better for man than to be joyful and to do good as long as he lives. These stories that I've heard this morning, James could be serious, but he could be lighthearted. He and Sue had some great moments. They really did, as evidenced by some of these pictures that you've seen in the slideshow. But now James rests with the Father. John quoted the voice from heaven in Revelation 14, 13, when he said, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. That's James Hughes. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we come into your presence on this occasion as we have commemorated Brother James Hughes, a friend to many, a husband, a brother, a father, a grandfather, friend, uncle. He represents so much to so many. But Father, we take comfort this morning reading from your scripture, but also knowing that James was a child of God. He loved you. He loved the church. And Father, we're just 
thankful that we had our time to know him. He has left a living legacy that we can all remember. And we just pray this morning, Father, that you'll be with Sue as she copes with James' absence. Be with Adam as he helps her. Help us all to reach out and touch Sue and help her in any way we can. We're going to miss him. He was a dear brother. But we know that he's in a wonderful place right now. And we just thank you that we have the hope of salvation through you. Thank you again, Father, for the beautiful day for this service. Thank you for all that you do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gary, would you come lead us in amazing grace? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Let's all rise, please, as the family exits. One thing I will say as the family is exiting, James would want you to go outside and really look his 58 Porsche over. It's parked out under the, the, the canopy out front, so be sure and, and look at that. And if you get a chance, check that photograph in the hallway. Sue also asked me to remind you any memorial gifts that you might intend to do, be sure and make that applicable to the West Irwin Building Fund. But again, thanks to everyone who attended this morning. It means so much to Sue and Adam and the family. Our service is concluded. Thank you.